Amen. Amen. Where I'm from, they say, we say, uh, God is good. And the uh. people say, Amen. Y'all know? <laughs> what? <laughs> and all the time, Amen. Good morning, Love Chapel Hill. Uh, my name is Anthony Smith. I'm pastor at Mission House in Salisbury, North Carolina. Come on now. Love Chapel Hill. Uh, I was in town this weekend, and I was like, I cannot come to Durham and hang out in Durham and not come be my brothers and sisters at Love Chapel Hill. God Hello. bless y'all. Amen. <laughs> Love the work that you're doing. Uh, just wanted to drop by and, and hang out with y'all and worship. Uh, my brother Matt and uh, Justin and Jason and all of y'all, and I just want to share with you, I just want to encourage you. Amen. Uh, Matt's told me I, I'm, I'm going to read the text to you this morning that you'll be reading from. But I want to encourage you this morning to imbibe the Exodus story. Amen. I want you to drink deeply of this story. And the thing about the Exodus story is that the Exodus story will disorient us and disturb us in ways that we can't even imagine. But it will also reorient us to things that are beautiful, good, and true. So my prayer for you during this summer season that you really imbibe this story, that you drink uh, of what God is saying through the text, through the preaching of this man of God, and uh, just drink that in and let it shape you and propel you into what God is doing in this season of your life. Amen. I want to read the text Amen. this morning. Amen. I'll be reading from Exodus chapter 13 in the NIV. I'll be reading verses 17 through 22. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds or return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Sukkoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left this place in front of the people. God's word for God's people. Amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor Anthony. It's a good friend of mine. And uh, more than one person today said, oh, is he preaching today? <laughs> And for the record, I told him back there, hey, if the spirit is moving on you, you can have it. All right. It's all yours, man. I love that, man. Mm. Thank you, Love Chapel Hill, too, for the way that you've been a support to Mission House in Salisbury. And uh, that's part of the mission that God has given us as a church uh, to encourage other churches and to pour in other churches as they're in those beginning stages uh, in, the, in those planting stages, and you've done that for Pastor Anthony, and so thank you for that, and I pray, I ask you to continue to pray for them 
uh, as they continue to move forward. Well, most of you understand and know that today is the day that we are sending and commissioning Jason and Amber and Emmylou into their next calling in ministry. And I think it's so powerful the way that we ended that part of worship today with just repeating, God, you're so good. He's so good. He's so good. And his goodness is out in front of us and his goodness is behind us. And his goodness is leading Jason and Amber and Emmy Lou and his goodness is leading you. And we can trust it. We can trust it. It's been tested over and over and over. And you can trust it. You can stake your whole life on that. We're going to be celebrating Jason and Amber and praying over them at the end of the sermon. And then Jason's going to lead us in communion. Um, as a way of, of sealing that time together. So be in prayer for that. We're going to come around them as a church family, pray over them and commission them as we do anytime we're sending people out. And we know that that's part of the mission God has given us as well, is to send people. And so we're going to do that for them and pray over them. So be preparing your heart for that. I want to say too, though, that I appreciate you as a church and the way that you have loved on Jason and Amber over nine years, consistently over the last nine years of our existence as a church since its beginning. You've loved them really well, and you've shown it especially in, these last, in this last month, month and a half. So thank you for the way that you've done that and for the way that you are sending them so well. And they know that as they're stepping out of this place, this is still a part of their home. And they feel that and they deeply appreciate it. So thank you for the way you've done that. It's been uh, bittersweet looking back on some of the great memories that we have had together. And uh, we've been telling stories together and remembering things. We've been watching the slideshow. Wes did an awesome job putting together a slideshow video that we shared last Sunday night. And uh, several people commented on the uh, change of hairstyles. <laughs> Over the years. <laughs> and it was weird for me even to go back and look at some of those pictures and be like, that's what all of us used to look like? Wow, all right, we used to be kids, you know? And so I was thinking about that. I was looking at some of those old pictures of Jason and thinking about how back then he looked like, like a young rock star. And today he looks like just slightly older rock star, all right? He still is a rock star, all right? So uh, it's been great to, to do that and just to walk through that time together, celebrating them. So thank you for the way you've done that, and we're going to continue to do that today. The passage of Scripture, as Pastor Anthony read for us, Exodus chapter 13, and uh, we're going to dive into this today as the Lord continues to lead us forward, just like he led his people in this story. Jesus, help us today. This story is your story. And we pray that your heart for your people would shine through in an unmistakable way. We pray that you would lead us today just like you led your people in this story. We trust you. We're saying that. We're claiming that. We trust you. You are good. And we trust what you have ahead.
as you put on somebody's heart right before coming up here. You put on their heart that sense of us as a church, we open our hands. We open our hands. And that is a posture of surrender. And that is a posture of total trust. And that's where we stand. We entrust the future to you. We entrust Jason and Amber and Emmylou to you. We open our hands. You're good. Amen. Amen. Exodus chapter 13. We are at a key part of the story. This is one of the most exciting parts of the Exodus story. A turning point of the whole thing. Where God proves not just his power, but his goodness. And the fact that his people can trust him as he leads them. I find it really interesting as this passage starts that right after Pharaoh finally breaks after the 10 plagues and after this moment of Passover where the deliverance is beginning and the doors are coming open and the, the chains are falling off and the slaves are beginning to step into freedom after Pharaoh let the people go, the passage tells us the Lord decided to lead them in a way that they were not expecting. He did not take them the shortest way. He did not take them the shortest way. I find that so interesting. So he, re- he led them in a different direction, as the passage tells us, not through the Philistine country where they might face war, but instead he led them a different way. Now, when you first hear that, you might think, okay, God is trying to help them avoid this conflict that they might run up against. He's trying to help them avoid the war That they might face. That's not really what it's saying. That's not really what it's saying. It says he he did not want them to face war. Because he thought they might turn back. If they did. And instead he was going to show them. Something completely different. He was going to show them how trustworthy. He is. So he led them a different way. They avoided war in that moment. But they did not avoid conflict. And watch the way this story goes. This was not the easiest path. The next chapter tells us that where the Lord led them, they were hemmed in. That's the language that's used. They were hemmed in by the desert and the sea. They were hemmed in by the desert and the sea. Now, you don't need a map in your mind of this region to understand that. All you need to understand is the, the, the way that landscape gets used throughout Scripture. And there's imagery in that landscape that gets described right there, hemmed in by the desert and the sea. The desert is a sign throughout Scripture. It's, it's symbolic of a time of waiting, of a time of preparation. Of a time of wandering, even at moments. This sense that you are in the wilderness and you're not exactly sure where the Lord is going to lead you next, but you know that He has you there for a reason. He has you waiting because He's preparing you for something. 
So when we hear that image of the desert, we know that that's part of that. And then the next part, the, the image of the sea, they're hemmed in by the desert and the sea. Now, for us, it sounds like I'm like, yeah, I'll go hang out by the sea. All right. That's where I love to go. Like, take me to the coast of North Carolina. I'm good to go. All right. But in Scripture, that's not what the imagery of the sea is about. It's not about leisure. That's for sure. The imagery of, of the sea all throughout Scripture from Old Testament to New Testament is the same. And it has to do with the with the mindset of the people and the understanding of the people in, in this place and in this time in which these stories are happening. The sea for them represented mystery. Because they did not know what was waiting beneath the surface. So it represented mystery, it represented uncertainty, it represented fear. And it represented danger because it was unpredictable. And so here they are between the desert and the sea, a place of danger, a place of mystery and uncertainty. This is why Jesus in the miracles that he performs, why Jesus calms the storm. And they are so amazed by that, not only because of just the natural phenomenon of that, but of the, the spiritual sense in which in what is taking place in that moment. Because Jesus is saying the uncertainty, the fear, the danger, it stops when I open my mouth. It obeys me. When Jesus comes walking to them on the water, yes, that is a strange natural uh, miracle that is taking place, right? A strange natural moment. But there's also a deep spiritual sense to it as well. It's saying the fear, the uncertainty, the danger that you sense, I'm above it. I'm walking on top of it. I've got this completely under control. That's what those miracles are about. This is not Jesus just saying, hey, y'all, watch this. All right, famous last words of a Southerner right there. <laughs> but that's the meaning. That's the spiritual meaning. And in the book of Revelation, there's this strange statement that gets made where it's describing the new heavens, the new earth, describing all things healed and all things restored. And part of the description is, and there was no more sea. And there was no more sea. Why? Because the uncertainty is healed. The fear is healed. The danger is healed. That's what's happening. So these people are caught in this place between the desert and the sea. And that's where the Lord intentionally leads them it's not just to avoid conflict yes they, he says they might turn back if they face war but he's not just trying to help them avoid conflict after all in the end they do face an army that is more dangerous even than the, any army that they would face through the philistine country Okay, it wasn't about sparing them from an army as the chapter rolls on. And as we get into chapter 14, we'll see that Pharaoh sends his army out after them. Pharaoh comes out after them with his army, the most fearsome army on the face of planet Earth at that point in time. The army of Egypt is synonymous with might and power and destruction. And that's who they end up facing. Yes, they avoid this this battle against these people in the Philistine country, but instead they get stuck between the desert, the sea, and Pharaoh's army chasing after them. So why did Jesus do that? Why did 
the Holy Spirit do that? Why did God do that? Why lead them that way? Because here's the thing. He was about to deliver them a victory. And he wanted for there to be no doubt who got the credit. There was going to be no doubt left who the glory belonged to in that moment. Yeah, they could have gone up against a, 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 a battle in that Philistine country if, if God led them that way. And God could have led them to an inspiring underdog military victory in that moment. We all know that history is littered with these kind of inspiring military victory where the underdog overcomes against all odds, right? But this is not going to be one of those stories. The songs that the people are going to sing for the years to come will not be about Moses. The songs that the people are going to sing when they celebrate the victory that's about to come for them is not going to be about the courage of the Israelite warriors and the stories passed down from generation to generation will not venerate the great battle of God's children nope the stories are going to be about one and only one the God above all other gods the God above all other things the one God who alone made a way for them when there was absolutely no other way he led them that way to remove all doubt the glory belongs in one place and the hope belongs in one place. There will be no doubt. As we've said over and over again, Exodus begins in Genesis and Exodus ends in Revelation. This is a small story that is pointing in so many ways to the larger story of God's redemptive work. In this world. So Exodus begins in Genesis and it ends in Revelation. And in this story in Exodus, we see that rescue comes from one alone. But it's only pointing us ahead to the moment where in Jesus, salvation will come from one alone. The same is true. There is no doubt who the glory belongs to, there's only one. Way. We're hemmed in on one side by the desert, on another by the sea, and we've got Pharaoh's army breathing down our necks. There is absolutely nowhere else to turn except to the only one who can save us. That's the gospel. That's the truth of your salvation. That's the truth of your salvation. I find it interesting that the New Testament is written in the language of Greek, and the word salvation can be translated salvation. It can also mean rescue. It's a direct echo back to the book of Exodus. The God who rescues his people when there is no other way. You and I, we were hemmed in by death and there was no escape. That was our certain end and God made a way. God made a way, only one way. Jesus Christ himself, he is our one hope. That is the good news of the gospel you and i were dead in sin dead in sin but jesus christ laid down his life for us he took death upon himself he experienced death so that he might overcome death and be our victory for us and it's through the death of jesus christ that you and i have salvation through the grace of god if we will place our faith in him some of you might want to make that decision for the very first time today it's a moment of just like what we were talking about in the prayer. It's a moment of opening up our hands and surrendering. 
and saying, I've tried it myself and I found myself stuck between the sea and the desert with an army breathing down my neck. I've got nowhere else to go. I need you. I need you. And you lay down your life and you open up your heart. Some of you where you're sitting right now, you might even want to do that with your hands. You might want to clench your fists and clench them tight and then feel that sense of release when you open them up. A moment of surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. If that's something that you're doing today, then please make sure you grab us after the service or write it down on the card that you've got, the connect card in your seat, so that we can know that and we can follow up with you and we can celebrate with you that victory that Jesus Christ has won for you. As this passage goes on, it says that God led them in this place and that he led them with a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day, and that his presence never left them, but was always with them through the fire and the, and the cloud, this pillar of fire and cloud. This is an astonishing move on God's part. It's an incredible gift that he gives to them, this sense of clear direction through something that they can see, a manifestation of his very presence with them, something that they can see with their own eyes and experience in that way he does this repeatedly through the exodus story we see him do this with moses when he calls him in the beginning with the burning bush we see him do this with the signs that god gives to pharaoh and through the 10 plagues that he unleashes on egypt and later we'll see this through the ark and the and the tabernacle this physical manifestation of the presence of god with his people but here, his very presence is animated. It's moving. It goes with them. It shields them. It shows them. It guides them. It's giving light in the darkness of night. And it's giving shade in the heat of the desert day. It's speaking to them. It's leading them and guiding them. But for all of the wonder and glory and grace that we see here in this moment, once again, it's pointing ahead to a greater moment when God will reveal his presence to us. In Exodus, God gives his presence through fire and cloud, but in Jesus, God gives his presence through flesh and blood. And he says, this is the way. Come, follow me. Come, follow me. Exodus begins in Genesis and it ends in Revelation. It's a small story, as epic as it is. It's a small story pointing to the much larger story now we come to the key point in the whole thing this is in exodus chapter 14 i'm going to read to you uh, verses 10 through 22 here's what it says as pharaoh approached the israelites looked up and there were the egyptians marching after them they were terrified and cried out to the lord and they said to moses was it because there were no graves in egypt that you brought us to the desert to die there are not enough graves in Egypt. There's so much doubt in that statement. But it's a pretty good burn on Moses, sorry. <laughs> Moses is like, that's a good one, all right? Stay with me here, all right? Were there no graves in Egypt? So you brought us to the desert to die. What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? 
God just broke you out of slavery. Hundreds of years, 400 plus years of slavery. And you're saying, what have you done to us? What are you doing? What could you possibly be up to in this? How could this turn out for our good? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, we don't want to go. Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. You should have just left us as slaves. And Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Tell the Israelites to move on. He's like, I'm kind of in a situation here, Lord. Help me out, all right? Tell them to move on. Here's what you do. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. That was a solution you didn't see coming. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Pharaoh, his chariots, his horsemen, all designed to bring glory to Egypt alone. And God says, they will be used to bring glory to me. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between them and the armies of Egypt. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all through that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Amen. Amen. That's the right response right there. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. That's what he that's what he did. That's what he did. It's so powerful. It's so beautiful. We see in this story, we've talked from the beginning about the anatomy of oppression. And we look at the way that Fear plays such an important role, such a key role, such a driving role in the reality of oppression anywhere you see it at work in the world. The anatomy of oppression is this. Fear drives unjust power. Fear drives unjust power. And we see it again with Pharaoh. Once again, he is afraid to lose his power. And so he chases after the Israelites, and he chases them right into the open water, which does not stay open for long. Closes over top of the Egyptian army. His fear 
drove him right to the end. That's the anatomy of oppression. Fear drives unjust power. But the anatomy of deliverance is that perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love drives out fear. It's Pharaoh's fear that makes him chase after the Israelites. And Moses, on the flip side, says to the people, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord is fighting for you. You only need to be still. Perfect love drives out fear. In Exodus, we see that God opens up the sea. And in Jesus, we see that God opens up the grave. This moment in Exodus is pointing ahead once again to the larger story. The sea represented for them certain death. There was no way around it. And yet it opened up and they walked through on dry ground and emerged in life on the other side. The same is true for the grave. Jesus Christ went to his death for us to overcome death. And the grave was left open. In the end, through the power of God, he overcomes even death. And just like God opens up the sea, God opens up the grave through the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. I love the fact that it tells us that it was the breath of God that divided the waters. Yes, Moses raised his staff. Yes, Moses put his hand over the sea. I'm imagining in a very dramatic fashion, right? Like the movies that we see. But it's the breath of God. That begins to divide the sea. All night long, God breathed over the waters. And the waters began to part. The waters began to part. This is an echo back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, when there was nothing. And it says that the spirit hovered over the waters. In Hebrew, the word for spirit can also mean breath. It can also mean wind. It's the same word. It's the same word. The Spirit of God, once again, hovering over the waters, creating something out of nothing and opening up new creation. The God who leads them out of slavery also led them into victory. He did not just leave them that far and then leave them there. He led them on into victory. One thing that stands out to me I've been talking with one of my friends about this over the last several weeks. It really stands out to me. The beauty, especially in an oral country, a culture like this, where history is passed down through story, right? One generation telling the story to the next. That oral history that gets passed down one generation to another. Think about these people. What was their history at this point? Their history was, well, God made us a promise somewhere back there. But for generation after generation after generation, we've been slaves. That's who we are. That's what my parents were. That's what their parents were. That's what their parents were. For generation after generation, that was the family history. And it changed on this day. I love that. And from this day Forward, this family story shifted and it flipped the opposite way. 
Instead of saying, well, God once made us a promise, but now we're slaves. Instead, they began to say, once we were slaves, but God brought us out. God brought us out. And all throughout the rest of the scriptures, this is how God gets identified again and again and again. It's at the heart of who they understand themselves to be as a people. And for the Jewish people, that's still true even to this day. We once were slaves, but God brought us out. The family history changed. And there was a turning point moment. And the story started being told in a completely different way for some of you today the family history changes the family story changes for some of y'all today well this is what our family used to be plagued with well this is what my parents did and really to be honest it's because it's what their parents did and it's because of what their parents did and generation after generation handing down these curses the family story changes today the great reversal. Amen, Demont. The family story changes today. And from here on, you begin to pass a new story down into the future. And you say, we used to be in bondage. That's who we used to be. But that's not us anymore. Because God brought us out. God brought us out. It's how they still understand themselves and know themselves today. After this incredible moment, incredible moment of deliverance the story ends this part of the story ends with the people celebrating on the shore there they are on the other side they're looking at this sea that had opened up for them and now has closed back up and has swallowed up their enemies and there they are in victory and what do they do to celebrate they sing. They sing. I love it. It tells us that Moses and then his sister Miriam, they begin to lead the people in what? In a song. In a song. And to, and to mark the victory of God and to mark the goodness of God, Moses and Miriam give their people a song to sing. And it's a song that they continued to sing. And they would keep coming back to it. And they would say, our God is victorious. Our God has overcome. He has hurled the horse and the rider into the sea. The sea has swallowed up our enemies. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. I'm going to ask Jason and Amber and Emilu to come up. And we're going to commission them. But here's what I need you guys to understand. And here's something that I want to say over them. One of the things I appreciate the most about Jason and his ministry here, he's given us a song. Like Moses and like Miriam on the shore of the sea. They've pointed back and he's given us a song to sing. And a song that we can carry with us, a song that we can remember And a way for us to celebrate and to mark the faithfulness of God. And in just a moment, they're going to come down. And um, we're going to celebrate them. We're going to pray over them as a church family. And we're going to thank them for giving us a song to sing. After that, uh, Jason's going to lead us in communion. And um, 
then he's going to also serve communion. So let's be real. Jason went back up to get Amber, I think. So they're about to come down. So let's give them a, a standing ovation as they come down, guys. Let's love on them. <laughs>